Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. We are talking gender-based violence in the workplace. Uh, this conversation is not going to be an easy one, but it's one that we need to have. Uh, let's welcome A-Team guest, Devin Munsami, who's the CEO of ICHAF Training Institute, which is a South African um, a corporate training provider and national learning institute. Uh, Devin is also an author of a book titled Racism, Classism, Sexism, and the Other Isms That Divide Us. And he's also uh, authored the book My Leadership Legacy journal and they are both available from the IHF Training Institute. Devin, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. It's always a pleasure having you. Hi Patricia, very nice to speak to you and the listeners. Wow. The workplace and gender-based violence. This should not be something we are saying in one sentence, but we find ourselves in that position. Why? Uh, what happens sometimes is it, it tends to go unreported in, in some instances. And um, when, you know, we can see uh, in some organizations this can be a little bit of a challenge. There are some instances where people have reported and then that shines a spotlight in that particular industry or that department and then it gets dealt with. There also is a ripple effect in terms of people being a victim of gender-based violence back at home. And this has a negative repercussion um, you know, uh, on the person's performance back in the work environment. And it can be humiliating to a certain degree for the individual to speak up about this kind of thing. We noticed that when we were doing um, diversity and inclusion training around the subject of racism and classism and, and all the other subjects around discrimination, this was one component of discrimination, gender-based discrimination and gender-based violence that organizations specifically wanted us to talk about and spend about an hour or two discussing any sort of recourse or what can an individual do. So it is very relevant and it is happening because remember a lot of these people employed by the corporates are the ones who are uh, living in different communities, townships, suburbs and so forth. So it affects all of us. Most definitely it does. It does affect everyone. So um, uh, before we go into a person who experiences gender-based violence at home and how it impacts on them in the workplace, let's start here. If in the workplace there is some uh, gender-based violence, what are the proper, proper channels to follow in order for a, a victim to report it, especially if it happens behind closed doors? Mm. Look, it's not as common in the corporate space or in the workplace as what it is in the home space, but there have been reported incidences. So, um, and as I said earlier, there's a general stigma and a level of humiliation to actually come out with it and speak up about this kind of discrimination or this kind of violence. And in many cases, it's very subtle in the workplace. So it won't be a, a total, um, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, type of obvious uh, um, attack on the individual. But it can be in a more subtle way. And and in this case, um, we definitely need to be lifting the lid and speaking confidentially to our HR practitioner about the experience and to find out what the policy has to say about this particular thing. I can almost guarantee that in every organization, the policy is not in favor of any sort of discrimination and violence based on gender. But now, you know, if it's coming from a top management, the CEO, the owner of the organization, your immediate manager, it can't be an 
easy uh, task to go and report because you're scared of being dismissed or ostracized at work. And also, because it's behind closed doors, there's the he said, she said, just like in many cases we've seen of sexual harassment. Mm, Yes. Uh, So it can become that, and then the person could run the risk of being victimized in the organization so which is why so many of these incidences are not reported there was an organization that we had worked with previously where the the manager was recruiting people for that particular call center and using very unusual strategies and tactics that that leaned into the space of gender-based violation or gender-based violence and exploiting those women who wanted positions in that organization. This was an actual reported incident. Uh, Eventually, that particular manager was uh, brought to task and he he was then taken into a disciplinary process. There was sufficient evidence to support his dismissal ultimately. So it does happen. Many of the incidences are unreported, but when it does get reported, make certain and make sure that there's a trail, there's a level of understanding um, around where where these allegations are coming from so that you go with the appropriate, because then it will become the he said, he said um, she, uh, she said aspect. But this is not to discourage anyone from lifting the lid. We must be able to, to, to speak up about it. And it's the obligation and duty of every department uh, HR department to investigate it thoroughly. Now, I know uh, at IHF Training Institute, you do uh, corporate training. Um, and uh, when you do corporate training, especially when it comes to gender-based violence, are, are, are there any specific areas that you address when it comes to the LGBTQI community? I'm very mm. concerned because they're very marginalized and susceptible to being violated, even in the workplace. Mm. You, you are right to a certain degree. Look, uh, with our type of training programs, I, my qualification, my degree sits in the area of psychology. So whenever we do programs like this, it's more psychologically charged in terms of the repercussions it has, what, what happens to you mentally and emotionally. And we have had in our forums members of the LGBT community speaking up because there's a blurred line. You see, there's a lot of uh, mainstream information around women and men and those genders specifically. But when it comes to transgender, when it comes to the LGBT community, queer people, it's very difficult because sometimes the boundaries are not as specific and and, and we're just sort of getting used to different pronouns as an example. We didn't know about binaries and non-binaries and so forth like a decade ago. So sometimes the way people act and behave in that space may be a little bit of, of, of an infringement on, on that community. And, and when we say this, we could say when the boundaries are, are not in place, it's organizations who are still feeling their way through the policies and the procedures and the processes and how to respond to such things. We have had incidences where members of the LGBT community were feeling a little bit violated in the organization. And what happens, unfortunately, is these individuals tend to just resign and then move on to another organization. And the difficulty with that is that companies don't progress and move forward when they don't rehabilitate the situation. Because it's, it's, it, these individuals decide to move on, companies don't change, and they're still stuck in the same mentality. 
A-team is joining in the conversation. What have you experienced in the workplace um, or how has gender-based violence impacted on your workplace, your productivity at work? If you have experienced it at home or at work, please share with us that experience. Our WhatsApp number is 0614-104-107. Our guest is Devon Munsami, who is the CEO of iChat Training Institute. Devon, when it comes to people who have experienced gender-based violence either firsthand or they witnessed it in their community or in their homes how does this impact on their productivity at work and what are some of the signs that their colleagues can look out for so they can be able to say hey are you okay mm. yeah there are several um, layers of impact and the first one is the psychological aspect we, we look at some post-traumatic stress as a result of the violence that had occurred. Um, some people perhaps also feeling um, a heightened sense of anxiety, not having an outlet to be able to speak to somebody, and, and largely keeping it a secret and hoping that the problem would go away. And then we see these individuals um, coming into the work environment highly distracted, almost distraught, not being focused on deliverables and key, key tasks. These are definitely warning signs and signals. Sometimes it happens where uh, you know, gender-based violence in the community or the household can take place where there's been an episode of drinking or, or, or drug abuse, and then it could almost be uh, you know, excused in the mind of the aggressor that now, uh, you know, because I was drunk or because I was under the influence of a particular thing, and then the, the victim is less likely to speak. Oh, she or he only reacts that way when they're under the influence or when that particular thing, uh, thing occurs, um, you know, or when they, they're very tired or in a bad mood. So some victims try to, to substantiate or they try to find reasoning why, and then that deters them from getting and seeking the psychological solace or the psychological assistance that they need, and therefore they don't speak up about it, and people then suffer in silence. You see, and when we don't speak up about it and seek the necessary psychological support or, or counseling as a result of it, it's like applying a rash medicine to a lung infection. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And then we sit with post-traumatic stress, and then all other aspects of our productivity tends to suffer. One will even question whether we are a good parent as a result of that when we are suffering um, uh, in an abusive relationship, because then it takes away from parenting duties as well. Mm, very true. Very, very true. So how can the workplace support a person who is a gender-based violence uh, victim? Mm, to make information and, and counseling readily available, support lines, should be made activated and the numbers should be displayed up on the walls as an example. Does everyone on the team understand that there are these outlets available? Some organizations even have wellness and, and counseling hotlines where the individual could get about four or five counseling and therapy sessions um, paid for by the organization. Many organizations subscribe to these um, um, helplines. And, and then it's all anonymous. So the individual has access to the helpline, and then they anonymously can then go for their counseling sessions outside of work. You know, speaking to a professional is very, very important because it helps us then gain some clarity and perspective and helps us deal with the trauma. Because if the organization doesn't address it in these ways, 
Then we have people in the organization who are then suffering and not having a, a, a reasonable enough outlet or platform to be able to address the anxieties. And if this is the case, then you're going to definitely have low productivity in the business. Remember, we're all part of families. We all have our personal uh, upheavals, and some have very, very nice uh, you know, journeys with their families. But it's not uh, all the time in South Africa where you have this almost uh, life that, that's built around uh, a perfect sort of family environment. At some point or the other, children or family members or, or young adults or people even working in the organization have experienced domestic violence. And not many people have sought out the necessary assistance to help them deal with it. If you ask many South Africans, and me as a counselor and working, uh, studying in the field of psychology, we've done so many case studies in terms of how South Africans are so reluctant to actually start the discussion around violence and domestic violence. And this appears to be almost like a culture in this country. Mm. And, and the reality is that the more we talk about it, the, the, the more we desensitize around it. Now, there's one aspect of gender-based violence that we hardly ever talk about, and that's uh, the aspect of the perpetrator. Mm. How do we then help a perpetrator? Because they also are found in our workplaces. Mm. Yeah. And, and you see, uh, when you talk about helping the perpetrator, uh, you know, we, we talk about a journey of rehabilitation. But the only time we can go through that journey is through admitting that I actually have a problem. And you see, we won't be able to come to terms with it when the, the victim actually starts speaking out about the discomfort of being in the situation. Because many perpetrators will just carry on with life. If my partner doesn't see it as a problem, the odd nudging, the odd pushing, even that constitutes a level of violence, you see. Um, the very subtle kind as well. Or even screaming and shouting as an example. If my partner does not air their view or I do not see it or I don't, my partner doesn't recognize it as a challenge. Why should I rehabilitate? Why should I then rectify my behavior? You see, then we're almost breeding a culture in the household where we are not transparent and we are not speaking to our partner. In fact, in some cases, everybody else knows about the nature of the partner, like the best friend, as an example, except the partner themselves. So it makes no sense when we're telling everybody else about how bad the partner is. Meanwhile, the partner is walking around with blinkers on, and that just perpetuates the behavior. When we're not having an open conversation with how your bad temper tantrum and how your bad behavior has affected me and has affected the children and affected my work performance, then unfortunately that person is blissfully unaware. And admitting it is the first step. Then we can start the process of rehabilitating it. So here's a message, uh, Devon. It's a very sad one via SMS. It says, hi, Pat. I'm someone who was in the gay movement and uh, I was trying to come right or straight. And at a point of time, there was this colleague who had a position and kept calling me names and saying everybody hates me because I'm gay and threatened me, saying that even if I'll try to report it, um, I w it won't be believed because his, of his position. This, mm. this is sad. This is really yeah. sad. And it, I think soft skills and such um, uh, knowledge is needed in the workplace now more than ever. It is needed, especially around that area. Remember, 
when a staff member is hiding such a big secret and you're expecting them to perform at 100% in the work environment, you know, with your duties and your deliverables all uh, now becoming, you know, being met, because every most departments will have a scorecard and you have to measure the employee's performance. And if that person is hiding some sort of secret like this, I can almost guarantee you productivity levels are not at a, at a high. In fact, they're sitting there at their desk thinking, I wonder if I'm going to be outed. I wonder who's going to react in this way mm. and so forth. So uh, it's irrelevant what the sexuality and what the, the, the preference of the, of the employee is. So somebody else holding them to ransom about how others may see them through their coming out journey is irrelevant. What we care about is how much of a good uh, employee you are, how well you handle customers, how effective you are at finance. So nobody really cares in the organization who you're going to the movies with or who you're watching Netflix with in the evening. It's, it's not. So the, the minute we start desensitizing around this, individuals like this person who send the message to you feel a little bit more supported and a little bit more comfortable to be able to speak out about these things. But yes, there have been many, many incidences where name-calling, belittling, laughing, snickering, are behind the backs of these individuals, and then it comes out to light, and then it's very demotivating mm. for the staff member. Most definitely. I, I agree with you, and it needs to come to an end. Devon, if um, the people are listening in need of uh, counselling or they're in need of the trainings that you offer for corporates um, at IHF Training Institute, how can they be in touch with you? Yes, they're more than welcome to log on to our website, www.ihftraining.com or www.devonmunsami.com and they can make contact with me or my Instagram handle devon-munsami um, on Instagram. And I'm happy to engage with them. Thank you for asking that. Excellent, Devon. I think you and I have a lot we still need to talk about, so we'll definitely be having you on the show again. Have a good evening further. You too.